Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with episode 428 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and as you can tell, the Silver King is still on the road using his old equipment as we bring you the final Getting Over episode of the week. We will be talking all things AEW and NXT before this episode is out. Plenty to discuss from a very newsworthy edition of Dynamite. Of course, we will also touch on AEW Rampage from last Friday and AEW All Access following Dynamite on Wednesday. And I got to tell you straight up here, I am juiced to discuss what happened this Tuesday on NXT as well. So a loaded show plenty to talk about here. Before we continue, I do want to give you a little scheduling programmatic update. Um, You know, being on the road, coming immediately out of WrestleMania and the sale of WWE and the craziness that ensued on Monday, it has not necessarily allowed the Silver King or the Getting Over Wrestling podcast to stick to our plans. We were going to talk more about WWE on today's episode. What I decided ultimately is not That much has come out since our last episode. I also want to see what does happen this coming Friday on SmackDown and next Monday on Raw. Before I dive deeper into this um, entire story of Vince McMahon rejoining creative, I want to see what influence he has on shows that are not the same exact weekend as WrestleMania with him already in the city. And I think we're going to learn a lot about that Friday and Monday. So we're going to save additional, you know, WrestleMania thoughts, WWE creative thoughts, Whatever the case might be, we're going to save it all for Tuesday's episode when Vintage Chris Vanini rejoins the podcast. It'll give him an opportunity to speak on these topics. And of course, I can then interject any additional information that I've been able to glean or that has come out through reporting elsewhere. So all the WWE talk still to come next Tuesday on our next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But for now, if you're still interested in all of that, there's a slight chance that you have not heard every single episode that we've produced uh, over that absolutely wild week that was WrestleMania 39. So sitting on this podcast feed right now, you have instant analysis from NXT Stand and Deliver, WrestleMania Night 1, and WrestleMania Night 2. And then you also have a instant reaction episode on the WWE sales slash merger to Endeavor, which we published on Monday before Chris and I both uh, hit the road to go to our respective uh, work trips. And then on Tuesday, you have the entire WWE Raw after WrestleMania edition of Getting Over. So that's five episodes that you can listen to before we return next Tuesday, again, with the next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And as I also noted on our last show, because we're operating on the old equipment, we're on the road, no soundboard for today's show. For better or worse, I know most of you love it. There's a couple that don't. So this time, it will be the Silver King with his own voice reminding you that this podcast is all about D5. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Also leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all that good stuff. You can find it on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And please consider supporting the show by heading over to buymeacoffee.com slash over. Link is also available in our Twitter bio. You can become a member. You can support the show. You can just buy us a meat or buy us a beer. 
anything you want. It helps support Chris and I for, of course, doing the show. And you get a ton of extras as well. I use that word ton. That's not fair. You get some extras as well, including uh, news posts. We just put up one earlier Thursday, mostly having to do with WWE and exclusive short audio as well. We will the plan is to do those after every major wrestling TV show leading into our recap podcast, which, of course, will always remain free right here on the feed. So, again, please consider supporting us. Buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. All right. With that, let's finally get into today's show. We're going to kick things off with AEW and we're going to wrap things up with NXT. As always, there are timestamps in the episode description. So feel free to check those out if you want to bounce around. But I hope you listen to the entire show. Kicking off with AEW. Now, before the last half hour of Dynamite on Wednesday, Tony Khan appeared on screen with Nigel McGuinness, who was recently hired by Tony to do commentary on Ring of Honor, which was basically his old home promotion. Nigel previously did color alongside Mauro Ronaldo in NXT in what was easily the best commentary duo in NXT history. Earlier in the day, Nigel was announced as All Elite, so presumably... He will do AEW stuff as well. Great pickup either way. Anyway, after with a half hour left on Dynamite, Tony, without blinking a single time, literally staring straight into the camera, said AEW would celebrate the five-year anniversary of All In by bringing it back for their first event in the United Kingdom. They're going to run London on August 27th. Then Tony brought in Adam Cole, who was apparently like his announcement guy, to say the event will be held at Effin Wembley Stadium to celebrate the 100 years of the stadium and 100 years of Warner Brothers. Now, I got to say, for all the shit that we give Tony Khan for his, quote, very important announcements and stuff, this was legitimately a very important announcement. It was a massive announcement. Running Wembley is a huge deal. Uh, WWE hasn't done it since SummerSlam 1992, and that was the old Wembley before it got completely, I think, torn down and renovated. Um And some did think WWE would run it for either Clash at the Castle or coming back this year, given the success of Clash at the Castle. Instead, WWE is doing money in the bank at the O2 Arena, which was a disappointment to many who wanted another stadium show after Clash at the Castle in Principality. But nevertheless, you know, WWE is going to be there uh, in May, I believe, for money in the bank. I think that sounds right. Yeah, I believe they're doing Money in the Bank in May. And then AEW is coming in August for their first European show. Now, look, Wembley can probably sit 80000 for a wrestling show. I cannot imagine AEW is planning to set up for that, even if it brings in New Japan and independent talent, which I assume it's going to. I think it's going to be an absolutely stacked show. Like, by the time we get to August, and if they're booking that show, I mean... I have to believe they're going to try to get Mercedes Monet from stardom. I have to believe they're going to bring back CM Punk. And I have to believe they're going to bring in Kota Ibushi, if not numerous people from New Japan. Forbidden Door is between now and then. So they're going to have Forbidden Door. Those relations will be extremely strong. You have to believe it's going to be some type of super show and not just like an AEW show that happens to be in London. There's not enough momentum just for that to you know sell a shitload of tickets i mean they would still sell a lot don't get me wrong but if you're doing a, sh- a show in wembley stadium you are going all out for it so i have to imagine tony has like massive plans for that show also the fact that they're calling it all in and they're doing it i think the week maybe before all out or something so it lends me to believe that they may actually just try to like recreate all in 
and make some like big independent non WWE super show as opposed to doing an AEW pay-per-view. And that's another thing. This may not even be on pay-per-view. It was not announced as a pay-per-view. They're tying it into the 100 years of Warner Brothers. Maybe this has something to do with a streaming announcement. They do it on HBO Max and try to get people to subscribe there. Um, Maybe they do something else. I can't imagine it being on TV. Perhaps it is on TV. I don't know. It's very interesting the way this announcement went down. Anyway, going back to what I was saying about seating, they can probably sit 80,000 for a wrestling show. I cannot imagine that AEW will set up for 80,000. It's possible they try. I have to imagine the goal is probably around like 40,000 with the ability to open seats as needed. I would say that 25,000 would be respectable. 40,000 would be incredible. And anything over that would be just a massive, massive success. Remember, this is a first run in the United Kingdom. So you're talking about fans from the UK, Europe, all over the area. Everyone who can get to that stadium within you know, 12 hours, you would think would want to go see it if you're an AEW fan or a big wrestling fan. And if they do make it a super show, then it's going to be a can't miss show. But legitimately big, huge, very important news from AEW. And I am quite curious to see how it goes. One of the rare Tony Khan announcements that completely delivers. All right, let's get to the actual wrestling. On Rampage, Juice Robinson fought Action Andretti. Juice in a pre-tape promo said every punch and strike in the match would be for Ricky Starks. Andretti did all his springboard stuff. Juice eventually turned the tide with a leg lariat, and Juice's loose spike DDT. The match, I thought, was boring as sin. Of course, Juice went to attack after the bell with Starks making the save and no one touching, as always. On Dynamite, we had Starks against Robinson as scheduled. Uh, This opened Dynamite just as Starks got to the ring apron. Jay White's music hit, and he stormed down for a two-on-one attack. Starks fought back briefly, only to eat Blade Runner. Massive pop from the crowd for White's return to AEW and debut as a full-time roster member. Excalibur called him the hottest free agent in professional wrestling, and of course, that is completely accurate. You can make an argument about Kota Ibushi, but Jay White more so because he is an English speaker. Uh, It was long assumed White would be heading to WWE, That was the plan, given his Loser Leaves New Japan match and Loser Leaves Japan match defeats earlier this year. What we don't know is exactly what happened. What I have been told, and we first reported this on Getting Over Extra, again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over, is when Vince McMahon returned to WWE in early January. He did not necessarily veto Jay White joining WWE, but... Because WWE was exploring a sale, and eventually, obviously, they did a merger, they did put a freeze on hiring any major talent. And wrapped up in that was Jay White. So I think it's more the WWE sale was to blame, not specifically Vince McMahon. But Triple H badly wanted Jay White. Jay White seemed to badly want to join WWE. And it didn't happen. So once again, WWE's loss is AEW's gain. I wouldn't call this an AEW win. Over WWE because it was more like WWE bowed out, again, according to my sources. But nevertheless, it is a win for AEW. Uh, In either company, White has a upper main event ceiling under Triple H and WWE. I think he could have been a massive star because he's just so much different than much of what WWE has in the way of heels. With AEW, I don't think he still stands out as much, but his potential for more consistent top-level matches is higher. I would say WWE needed him more than AEW, but this is not like one of Tony Khan's bloated roster type of moves. You sign him if you can get him no matter what, and WWE dropped the ball here. Even if there were extenuating circumstances, they dropped the ball. 
on Rampage. Konosuke Takeshka fought Sammy Guevara. Strong bell-to-bell action here with little selling. Takeshka took a Canadian destroyer, but just like stood up and then caught a flying nothing, countering that into a blue thunderbomb. Takeshka hit a release avalanche German suplex. Then Taimelo distracted him, and Guevara caught him with a pump knee and a GTH to get the expected win because Takeshka is not allowed to win anything. Uh, we talked about this last week. Any match these guys are in, they're going to win until double or nothing to set up the fatal four-way. I went 3.5 stars and a B for this, simply just for the work rate. There was some really good action here. On Dynamite, MJF was honored with MJF Day in Oyster Bay, Long Island. The ceremony was so sparsely attended that it was tough to tell if it was real kayfabe or like a mix of both. MJF got an introduction like he was a crooner, and he sang Pennies for Heaven. And the fact of the matter is he is a way, way better singer than he has any right to be. Uh, Max got the key to the city, and there was a ceremony in the ring. He said Jungle Boy has a small dick. Then MJF said he has ADD, and there was a teacher who didn't believe him, so he called her a stupid bitch. Uh, He went to sing an encore and went off on a dude in a face mask for screwing up the timing. Of course, it was Jungle Boy. They brawled and got separated. Then Guevara came out, picked up the title laying between them, taunted them, and went to the ring for his match. And look, there's no doubting MJF is entertaining, but it's gotten so one note that every single segment like sounds and feels exactly the same, even if it's meant not to be. Like, really, what was the difference between this and the bar mitzvah? It really wasn't that different. I mean, it's just happened to be in Long Island, right? And his insults have mostly lost all meaning because it's the same lowbrow shit every single time. He's still a great promo. He's still one of the best promos. But is he going to win Smack Talker of the Year in 2023 after going back-to-back here on the Getting Over Awards? I don't know. I don't think he's the top contender for that right now. Uh, Guevara fought Commander in the ensuing match. There was a really sick tightrope shooting star press from Commander. Then he did four more moves that just became like super repetitive despite still remaining really impressive. Uh, He also had a springboard Phoenix Splash and a regular shooting star press that Guevara blocked with his knees. Uh, Then they did a really choreographed top rope walking cutter before Sammy hit the GTH for the win. You could audibly hear the crowd go from like super impressed with this match and interested in it early to not so much bored, but like indifferent to the spots as the match went longer. This was like the definition of a spot fest, zero psychology or story to it. After the bell, Guevara was proud of himself for wrestling while MJF does not, calling his performance shit and American Idol style. Uh, Sammy then cut a pretty terrible promo about MJF selling his soul to be an AEW pillar, which he didn't, Uh, except, you know, Sammy has been in two factions with Chris Jericho, so I don't know how he didn't sell his soul. Uh, He also said he loves AEW and is not about to use it as a springboard to go elsewhere. And he mentioned the bidding war of, you know, 2024. Look, having a heel cut a heel promo on a heel and not doing it well is just rough TV. The only real heat he got was from shitting on Long Island. On Dynamite, Blackpool Combat Club went to the ring and just beat the shit out of a few jobbers with Wheeler Yuta winning the match via submission. Brian Danielson cut a promo, said he loves his family, loves the guys in the BCC, even Yuta despite him being a shithead. He also loves professional wrestling. He said the jobbers look like amateurs, the EVPs hired, and they were the only professional wrestlers in the building. That brought out Hangman Page for what can only be described as the most idiotic babyface one-on-four attack. Brian, because they beat the shit out of him because it was one-on-four, said no one loves Page, no one came to help him. Then he pulled out a screwdriver. He kept yelling amateurs, and then he dug the screwdriver into Page's forehead because, you know, nothing says real professional wrestler like a screwdriver to the forehead. Then Brian kind of took a shit on WWE saying, that they, the Blackpool Combat Club, were the only professional wrestlers in the building. And after what he's seen this week, 
all of North America. This, of course, despite the fact that WrestleMania, by my metric, had three five-star matches, and if you prefer Dave Meltzer's ratings, had two five-star matches and a 4.75 star match. But no, there's no real professional wrestling in WWE. Now, I watched this episode of Dynamite away from any social media, which is not always the case. I usually am on Twitter and sometimes even scrolling Reddit when I watch. And I found myself legitimately wondering what others thought about this segment because I could see people loving it. But candidly, I thought it was kind of dog shit. Like the professional wrestler shtick, that ran its course in the JAS feud. But we're back to it. And I know they're legitimate tough guys, so be legitimate tough guys. But you don't have to like keep repeating professional wrestler, professional wrestler. Brian, as a heel on the mic, is exceptional. But just everything he kind of said in this promo, to me, rang hollow. I wanted to love it. I just didn't. Hangman not having Kenny Omega or Dark Order or even Adam Cole come out to help him didn't really make much sense, even though the Young Bucks were sidelined. This didn't really get me going. And yeah, ending a big segment like this with a one-on-four beatdown because the babyface is dumb, and then a screwdriver to the head, I mean, is it brutal? Sure. I didn't find it interesting, and I really just kind of thought it was stupid. The main event of Dynamite, the AEW Tag Team Championships, the Guns against FTR. The Guns came out to many men by 50 Cent, and man, that was a freaking awesome entrance. Probably one of the best special entrances that AEW has ever done. I wish it was for a more important match or a better team, but nevertheless, it was a great entrance. Uh, Dax hit a spike pile driver. Each team broke up the other's finishers with FTR hitting Shatter Machine, only for Colton to pull the referee out of the ring by his leg and ask for the DQ. Austin delivered a low blow to Dax, also purposely trying to get a DQ, but Cash begged the referee not to call it. I forgot to mention if FTR lost the match, they'd be out of AEW. That's the reason they wanted the DQ. Uh, Then they ate a 310 to Yuma and rolled out of the ring. Next, the guns distracted the referee with one title and used another to catch Dax flying with a shot to the head for a false finish. Dax then spit in their faces, and there was a choreographed double roll-up pin with FTR taking the titles and saving their AEW careers. The DQ attempts from a couple, you know, shit-eating heels, especially ones who are chicken shit and can't really defend their titles, I love that stuff. So I thought the guns did a great job. Now, that said, I thought the finish was absolute garbage. Like, it kind of protected the guns and made FTR's win simultaneously feel like happenstance. Let's not forget, you had the guns purposely in this position as transitional champions. So FTR did not have to beat the acclaimed clean. Yet, you're protecting the guns by having them get rolled up after getting spit in their faces. It... it, This is supposed to be one of the best tag teams in the world in FTR. They just came back, and you're trying to put them over as your new champions. They can't hit Shatter Machine and win the titles clean or get one over on the guns by doing their own distraction to give the the champions, the heels, a taste of their own medicine and then hit Shatter Machine after that. It felt like a really lacking title change, maybe because we knew there was no way they were actually leaving AEW. I'm not suggesting it was a bad match or a main event. It just left a lot to be desired in the end at least for me. On Rampage, Swerve Strickland, in a package promo, said both he and Keith Lee are dangerous. Lee then said Swerve was mad that he took out the mogul affiliates, but proud that Swerve took him out. Swerve said he has an army to take Lee out. Lee said he'd plant Swerve six feet deep, making him an underground rapper. Now, it's strange for someone like me, who loves both of these guys, to see them in an absolutely horrific storyline with nonsensical promo work against one another. This was actually awful. 
0.0, Mr. Blutarski. On Dynamite, Chris Jericho backstage said he's happy Adam Cole was healthy enough to return, but the endless celebration after the match made Daniel Garcia look like a punk and a piece of trash, so that was Jericho's motivation for coming out to stop the disrespect. Keith Lee then interrupted, saying Jericho was a paradigm of disrespect, and he'd teach him about respect next week. Now, Jericho's promo was solid. The reasoning was rather silly. Keith is still feuding with Swerve, so I hardly understand this challenge at all. Now, I'm thrilled to see Keith Lee have a legitimate match on Dynamite with a real star. I have to assume Swerve gets involved somehow because Jericho needs to win in order to do the Adam Cole feud, which you have to believe is going to culminate at double or nothing. But Keith Lee shouldn't lose because he still hasn't had the Swerve match yet. So not exactly sure what they're doing. Overall, clearly, I'm mixed on this. But the end result, I guess, doing the match is positive. On Rampage, Kings of the Black Throne fought Best Friends. Brody King powerbombed Chuck Taylor through the timekeeper's table, only to eat a chair to the back. Then Malachi Black killed Tramperetta with one. That resulted in a disqualification. They went for their finisher in the ring when Orange Cassidy came out for the save, only to get attacked on the stage by Buddy Matthews and then thrown down the ramp. The Kings then hit him with Dante's Inferno to stand tall. I always find it weird when, like, Heels without challengers create challengers for themselves by doing stuff like this. And given how much leeway referees have in AEW and how rare disqualifications are in AEW, it just felt like this was relatively light action to create a DQ. It almost felt like there was more DQable stuff in the FTR guns match and one wasn't called there than there was here. So if you're going to have a DQ finish, which in AEW, I'm totally fine with them doing it because, like I said, it's rare. They never do it. Make it, like, really worthwhile of a disqualification. Beyond that, I'm just kind of sick of seeing best friends in title pictures when they never win. And you know what? I'm kind of sick of seeing them all together. On Dynamite, there was a trios match, a trios championship match, a House of Black against best friends. Matthews blocked Soul Food and hit a stomp on Taylor for the win in title retention. There were some fun moments here. I love seeing Buddy use Seth Rollins' finisher. It's cool that he added that to his arsenal, though it's far worse than his actual finisher, which I would much prefer to see as a match ender, especially in a title match. On Dynamite, Christian Cage walked into a red, smoke-filled hallway only for Luchasaurus with some type of spiked shoulder covering to meet him in the middle. It was a nice visual. I guess thoughts of Christian already being done with AEW after the Jungle Boy feud were incorrect. On Dynamite, we had a women's championship match, Jamie Hayter against Rio. After a 619, Rio hit a flying crossbody. Hayter caught her with a neckbreaker over the knee and basement lariat. Hayter tried to roll through a superplex, but Rio caught her with a DDT. Rio came back with a Hurricanrana and Meteora with Hayter using the ropes to save the fall. Then they countered each other with Haterade leading to a false finish. She followed with a ripcord Haterade for the win. Hater bent down to shake Rio's hand after the bell. This was a fantastic match. Really good title defense for Hater. She is really the top of this division, not even a question. And she's actually, forget like the division. She's one of the best wrestlers in the company. It is great to see a young talent like her blossom. Four stars A- minus for this match. Easily the best AEW match of the week. On Dynamite, the Outcast gave... Hater a golf clap for retaining her title, saying they would ensure that a member of their group beats Hater for the title sooner than later. Promo was fine, way too general and unspecific to really take anything away from it. On Dynamite, JAS was out for the acclaimed answer to, you know, joining the JAS with Daddy Magic wearing the David Putty eight ball jacket from Seinfeld. Max Caster's rap was kind of middle of the road for him, but even though he insulted JAS multiple times in the lyrics, Cool Hand said it sounded like they wanted to be in the JAS, so they went ahead and booked an eight-man tag team match for Rampage. So then Cool Hand wanted to scissor, but Billy Gunn would only do it with Anthony Bowens. They did that, and the segment ended. This legitimately made 
zero sense. And this entire angle remains complete dog shit. It is a terrible follow-up for the Acclaimed coming out of them being tag team champions. Acclaimed are not joining JAS. We know this, man. The Las Vegas partying video came out of nowhere. Then they promote an answer to come on Dynamite. Clearly, the Acclaimed are insulting them. Yet, they are going to tag with them anyway on Rampage just because they got the match made? Wouldn't you just say no, like we hate you, get away from us? What am I missing here? Market zero. On Rampage, Matt Hardy handled the match contract for Ethan Page against Hook, saying he took care of everything himself and they are best friends. Page signed without reading as Hardy smirked and winked into the camera. Of course, Matt was forced into the firm, so this is his retribution. Enjoyable little backstage segment. On Dynamite, we got the match. Hook against Page. Hook hit a T-bone suplex early, then Page tried a twist of fate, which Hook reversed. Page tried to use the FTW title as Isaiah Cassidy distracted the referee, but Hardy did a tug-of-war with him, then purposely hit him in the head with the title. Hook immediately caught Page in Red Room for the knockout win. He and Cassidy then dapped up Hook on the stage. This was all kind of random, but decently interesting. They didn't pay off, though, Matt handling the contract. The whole idea was Matt handled the contract, so there's something in there that would have screwed over Page, except there was nothing about the contract that mattered. He just screwed him over, like, in reality, with the title shot. I was very confused by that. On Rampage, Taya Valkyrie fought Marina Shafir. Valkyrie won with two Valhalla in two minutes and 30 seconds. Jade Cargill and Mark Sterling sent a process server to hand Taya the lawsuit. So, of course, Taya hit two Valhalla on the server, who was a woman, just to be clear. Uh, that somehow made Jade angry, so she charged the ring only to get restrained by Sterling and Layla Gray. This was the fifth of the last six AEW women's TV matches. I'm sorry, fifth of the last seven, I believe, uh, to last under three minutes. Three of those matches involved Taya. And here's my question. Where is the rest of this fucking division? Jade has had a lot of bad storylines as champion. This is near the top of them. And I would do the whole Jey Uso ribbing, you know, sound drop here, but I ain't got it for you. On Rampage, Anna Jay backstage said she attacked Julia Hart because she almost died in their street fight. Then she said, quote, pain doesn't bother me because I have a fat ass and a bad attitude. She also called Hart a spooky bitch and screamed that she was going to choke her out. I mean, folks, what the hell are we doing here? And who the hell wrote that line? And lastly, the worst of them all, QTV was back with perhaps its worst edition yet, like somehow much, much worse than the terrible ones that preceded it. Uh, QT's new finisher is called the Dirt Sheet Bomb or something like that. Comedy is totally fine in wrestling, but if you're going to do comedy, it's got to be fucking funny. This is not funny. And we'll wrap up AEW with a couple notes from All Access. Um, You know, the show is fine. I I kind of laid out for you last week what it is and, and what you should expect from it going forward. And this week just wasn't as interesting or newsworthy as the last, but again, it really paid off what I told you to expect from it. So here's the two notes. While the Sammy Guevara-Eddie Kingston beef does seem to have been real, the conversation that they had was clearly staged for the show. Uh, And it was also really cool to see Brian Danielson come up to Sammy Guevara after their two of three falls match and give him credit for doing a great job and really, you know, put him over, sure, in front of the camera, but also just man-to-man. Brian, coming out of that match, looked like he got run over by a truck. Those are the notes. That's all I got from AEW All Access. And it's to the point where I may, not that I'm going to stop watching it, but I may stop like reviewing it on the show. I may only mention if something actually matters going forward. So with that, 
Let's go ahead and move to NXT, which was an absolutely tremendous episode, legitimately, particularly when compared to Raw. But even on its own, it was just actually great from start to finish. They executed a proper Raw after WrestleMania adjacent type of episode. So NXT after Stand and Deliver. There were no debuts exactly, but a handful of returns, eventful developments, great matches, and intriguing storytelling. The perfect formula altogether. This was one of the best NXT episodes of the year, and actually, perhaps the best of 2023 altogether. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams were the main event for Melo's championship celebration. They called it the him era with Melo, saying he doesn't chase championships, he attracts them. They cut a line from Nelly's number one before Melo put Braun Breaker over, saying he legitimately respected him, as he said multiple times during their feud. He asked Braun to come out, saying he didn't know what was ahead for Breaker, but thank you. And the crowd chanted that. The whole idea was that Braun was leaving NXT and... You know, Mello was putting him over on the way out, just like Braun put him over after the match. So Braun, speaking of putting over, he put over the legacy of the title and how Tommaso Ciampa passed the torch to him. Breaker said NXT is just as much about the fans as it is the superstars, and then they cheered for Mello. Uh, he went to exit the ring when Mello stopped him and offered him a handshake and a hug. So Breaker raised his arm, and then he got angry, hit him with a huge lariat. He followed with a power slam to Trick, and then a spear to Mello in a full heel turn. As a wise man once said, <clears throat> I believe I had that. I have been calling for this for months at this point. And it was such a relief to see Braun not getting rushed up to the main roster as a call-up, but rather turning heel and actually continuing his development where he belongs. This will allow him to actually create a character other than being the ultra-white-meat babyface legacy-dominant champion. He's going to have to deal with heat from the crowd and cut promos that are about more than just being excited or being a hothead. He's going to have to deal with that heat from the crowd, and he's going to have to create a compelling character that is not just a multicolored guy who acts like a dog and barks and is a legacy from the Steiners. And I'm very excited about that. He is going to be so much better off for this long term. This was one of those moments where I actually got excited as a critic because I saw the exact right decision made at the exact right time. Braun actually offered more expressions and character intrigue without saying anything in this heel turn than he has through most of his championship run. Great stuff here from top to bottom, not different from the Cora Jade heel turn about a year ago. And by the way, they also happen to be dating. Indy Hartwell opened the show to celebrate her championship win to You Deserve It and Indy Wrestling Chance. She talked about her ups and downs with the fans always having her back. Indy decided Roxanne Perez deserved the first title shot, and fans actually booed a little bit, which I thought was weird, before Zoe Stark interrupted, saying Indy's win was all luck, and she's bringing the legacy of the title down. She called Indy beatable and wanted the title shot since Roxy had been radio silent since Saturday. Hartwell bought it and Stark promised that her title reign would be the shortest ever. Now, from the second that Indy won the title, it did feel a little bit to me like a Zack Ryder WrestleMania situation, and my immediate thought seeing this challenge was that the world title would change hands on NXT. So we had the women's championship match, Hartwell against Stark. Zoe hit a seated springboard sent on early. Indy avoided the flying dropkick and caught Zoe springing midair with a great spinebuster. Stark nailed the champion with Z360, but Hartwell fell out of the ring and countered the ensuing pinfall attempt at 1.5 into a crucifix to retain the title. Immediately after the bell, Tiffany Stratton came out, uh, making the belt motion. Then Cora Jade attacked Indy from behind with a double underhook DDT. Then she talked shit to Tiffany, and later in the parking lot, 
Cora said she would explain herself next week. Then Lyra Valkyria walked up, saying Jade can't escape fate, basically chasing her off. Now, beyond the retention, this was a nice showing for Indy against one of the top in-ring talents on the roster. Zoe helped legitimize her as champion, which was the goal, while also opening the door for two top challengers to show up. It feels like Perez is probably going to return maybe for a tag match and then possibly a fatal four-way with all of them, but that should be exciting if they go in that direction. It would also allow Hartwell to drop the title quickly, perhaps, without necessarily taking the fall if that is their goal. Indy's promo at the start of this was fine, you know, all things considered. Nothing that special. Cora looked drastically different from hair to makeup to overall style. Much more like serious and adult and... I'm going to use the word attractive, but I don't mean it in that manner. Like she, it it looked like more effort was put into the look. I guess that's the best way I can put it. Uh, The North American Championship was on the line. Wesley against Axiom in an airport wearing his mask. Axiom asked for a one-on-one match and Wes just accepted. Wes later hyped the match. Wes hit a German suplex out of the corner. Then he tried the cardiac kick as Axiom tried to counter with golden ratio. So Wes planted him with double knees to the chest, adding a falcon arrow bomb. Axiom caught the cardiac kick with a rear naked choke midair and hit a half-and-half suplex. He also got knees up on a corkscrew, but Wes ducked golden ratio coming back with a cardiac kick to retain the title. This got more time than the match we're about to discuss, but it felt more choreographed comparatively. Still, supremely entertaining at 3.75 stars in B+, and another big win for Wesley. After the bell, Scripps taunted Axiom in like a voiceover saying he knew the hidden corners of his mind. Axiom was not fooled though, as he saw Scripps flying into the ring and super kicked his damn head off to a massive pop. It was such a great spot. Axiom screamed that he would expose Scripps, who did look like he finally got a slightly better mask, but it was very tough to see his face. Uh, This was a hot moment on the show, for sure. Dragon Lee fought Nathan Frazier. Dragon Lee got a video package showing his highlights from Stand and Deliver with some really cool imagery. NXT also worked out his entrance after kind of botching it on the big show. Before the bell, Noam Dar hopped out of the crowd with his NXT UK Heritage Cup, saying he will decide if anyone impresses him enough to challenge for it. There was great work both ways in this match until Lee hit a Tree of Woe coup de gras when he tried to Capitalized, Frazier caught him with a perfect counter kick. Lee avoided a corkscrew, then countered a Spanish fly into a Liger bomb in a ridiculous spot. Lee then hit a running pump knee for the win in 10 minutes. Later backstage, Frazier was focused on turning his ear around, saying he had a moment of enlightenment that changed his reality. And that was kind of curious, so they're going in some other direction with him. Tough to see what it is. I got to tell you, I could have watched this match for an hour. Holy shit, did this thing bang. No surprise, because these guys are both supreme talents. The short length... And one-third of it happening during commercial really caps the grade at four stars and an A-. minus. But this match, or these two matching up again, has a massively high ceiling, like a five-star ceiling for sure. Frazier is still young, so losing to guys like Lee is fine because Lee is established. But I would love to see Nathan Frazier get a big push. Now, just talking about these four guys, Wes, Axiom, Dragon, Frazier, I know they're not going to do it. But if WWE was still completely under Triple H creatively and wanted to put together a real cruiserweight division on the main roster, these guys, plus already made stars like Ricochet, would legitimately put on banger after banger after banger. There's no hope for that right now, but man, is there a lot of talent here. 
Isla Dragunov was complimentary to Wesley backstage, but also confident that he had him beat, if not for someone else interfering with his momentum late. Von Wagner got in his face, talking shit, which Isla was all about. Mr. Stone walked up angry that Wagner was picking another fight without his approval and promised to get the match made, but also leave Wagner if he lost. Dragunov, right now, really is at the top of his game. Not just in the ring, but as a character. He's one of the most believable tough guys in all of professional wrestling. Wagner was actually pretty decent here uh, with the confrontation, and we'll see what happens because we finally get some stakes with Stone. That is a positive. I could see this being a situation where Stone gets written off NXT, goes up to the main roster, and maybe even works with Chelsea Green again. That would make a lot of sense. JC Jane cut a package promo on Gigi Dolan, calling her pathetic for believing JC would let her win the title. Jane said, now that she's broken Dolan's face and heart, all that's left to break is her will. I got to tell you, my assumption was Gigi would be the star of this group, and perhaps she still will be. She's been doing great recently. But JC seems like the total package. Good enough in the ring, great promo, completely believable. Her ceiling is super high. Andre Chase was pumped up about Chase U winning their match over Schism at Sin and Deliver. He gave props to Tyler Bate, which bothered Duke Hudson since he was the one who won the match. Chase turned it around, saying Hudson told him he didn't care for awards, but Hudson said there's a difference between an award for a trivial match and him picking up a win on a premium live event. He then gave a speech to the class that roused everyone with Chase deciding to give him an MVP trophy next week. Hudson was jacked up. Everyone celebrated. It was a pretty damn good segment. And now I wonder, like, is he actually going to get the trophy next week? Is Andre Chase going to turn on him? You know, what's exactly going to happen here? So very curious. Now, on this topic, we should note that the former grizzled young veterans, which got one of the worst gimmick changes in professional wrestling history when they became the dyad under Joe Gacy, requested their WWE releases last week, according to multiple reports. Uh, fair play to them. Because they got absolutely screwed by NXT 2.0. Took a perfectly good gimmick, main roster caliber, a couple of guys who can wrestle their asses off and talk, and gave them a horrendous gimmick where their looks were changed and they barely speak, and their wrestling was reduced. Longtime listeners know I had been frustrated about that from the second it happened, and it never got any better for them. So the request made complete sense. Now, there was a false report that the release was granted, which is not the case as of yet. I heard that Shawn Michaels basically asked them, take a breath, allow me to develop some new creative and a plan for you. And if that's the case, that's even better. If they become Grizzled Young Veterans again or a different version of that under another name, but they get to be themselves, you know, that is the best case scenario because WWE needs tag teams of their caliber and they're already there. As for the rest of Schism, nothing was seen of them Tuesday. If it does eventually break up, whether GYV gets released or not, I would have Thea Hale recruit Ava into Chase U. That way she could be reborn as a face and still hidden by others in a group. Gacy can easily survive on his own, but he's going to need a gimmick refresh. Hopefully something vastly different than what he's currently doing. Alba Fire and Isla Dawn got a package promo recapping their women's tag team title victory. While they were pleased to have the championships, they didn't feel like they torched the ground of NXT completely, they basically said they'd be ready for any challenge. The gimmick, it's not for me. But anytime you can get a real women's tag team that works well together and has a cohesive, creative plan behind it, I'm going to be all for it. And beyond that, both of them are extremely talented wrestlers, and Alba is finally being utilized to a positive end in the United States. So that's a huge, you know, positive. Uh, Gallus cut a promo backstage proud of retaining their tag team titles with the returning Joe Coffey planning to win some gold on his own after picking some fights with the roster. 
Now, he definitely makes Gallus more interesting. And candidly, he's the only one you can actually understand when they speak. But holy shit, is he problematic. Overall, though, it was another boring promo from the Gallus boys. The D'Angelo family fought pretty deadly. This was built during Stand and Deliver. There was some comedy early. Deadly did a fake out using the ring apron to hide the brunette's hair so the blonde could throw Tony's head into an exposed turnbuckle for the roll-up 1-2-3. Inventive spot, entertaining, but not necessarily a good match. The right team won for the story, but not much of anything. Dijak fought Odyssey Jones. Odyssey caught Dijak flying for a world's strongest slam. Then Dijak somehow booted Jones while he was seated on the top rope, taking him off it for a powerful Death Valley driver. Dijak then hit a moonsault for the clean 1-2-3. This was a shorter match than I'd have liked because what we saw from them was super fun and, and you know left me wanting more, not just that. It was big, meaty men slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want to see. That's what we got. No water, no bread, just meat. The right winner, for sure, but Odyssey is definitely improving. Uh, Kiana James screamed at Brooks Jensen backstage for not giving her her purse at Stand and Deliver. Fallon Henley yelled back at her for trying to make Brooks cheat in wrestling when she's cheating on him for real. Fucking finally. Kiana said she was dating around like most people because they were never exclusive. James said that their first kiss made her want to be exclusive with him, but now she can't trust him. Henley and Josh Briggs tried to tell him there's more fish in the sea. Hey, it's okay. You can get over her. But he just yelled at them. Fallon said she was just trying to help, except, you know, she had a month to actually help her friend and chose not to. So they're doing a rematch next week, which I'm sure will go off the rails and perhaps even split them up for a mixed tag team feud. I'm never going to get into it. It's just so poorly conceptualized and executed with so much lacking logic. The the idea, the general concept of the storyline is 100% fine, but every single week there's like more holes in it than Swiss cheese, and it's just annoying the shit out of me. Ivy Nile fought Tatum Paxley. Ivy kicked her ass from the opening bell and did a great spinning flip toss off her shoulder. Paxley begged for mercy, but Nile countered her into a chokehold, cinching it in for the submission victory. The Creed brothers came out to celebrate with her after the bell, and I'm legitimately not sure if Tatum got any offense in this match whatsoever. After Ivy has lost so many times recently, which kind of stunted her kayfabe development, getting a dominant win here was perfect to help reestablish her. And I do wonder what's going to happen next with Paxley. And lastly, there was a short vignette for Tank Ledger, Danny Palmer, and Oba Femi, all of whom will be wrestling on NXT TV soon, but have already been on level up. Ledger is Northwestern defensive lineman Joe Spivak, who seems to be a prodigy like Braun Breaker. Femi is an Alabama shot putter. Both were members of WWE's inaugural NIL class. Palmer, I believe, is just a developmental talent, but there's said to be high ceilings for all three of them. It's great they're getting these opportunities. It just feels like... If you're bringing people into NXT, you should be bringing people from NXT up to the main roster simultaneously, and those have been few and far between as of late. So, interested to see how all of that plays out beginning next week. As you can tell, folks, I very much enjoyed what we got from NXT. I thought it was a fantastic episode of wrestling start to finish, and AEW was extremely uh, positive show as well on Wednesday, of course, Friday with Dynam- with uh, Rampage, I'm sorry. I can always skip it. It's just, it doesn't work for me. It's not a great show. Uh, but folks, look, uh, time is running out here. It is the Silver King's opportunity to sign off. So on the way out, allow me to send a quick few notes your way. First, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news, highlights, analysis, 
all that good stuff. Please remember, it is all about the five right here on Getting Over. So you can head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Leave a five-star written review because if you do, we will read it live right here on the show. And don't forget, you can support Getting Over the Silver King and Vintage by going to buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. You can just buy us a coffee, a beer, or a meat. That's how I have it termed on the site. Or you can actually become a member of Getting Over Extra and get news posts, exclusive audios, all that extra stuff. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash gettingover. Thank you to everyone for joining us through that wild WrestleMania 39 week, the sale of WWE. All those episodes, of course, still there waiting for you. The Silver King needs to take some rest over this ensuing weekend, but we will be back next Tuesday for a loaded WWE episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. At this point, though, the Silver King is going to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.